before we start, I just want to let you guys know that uh, later in the podcast, I discovered that Terry's uh, mic actually was mal- malfunctioned in some sort of way and uh, faded out. It was fading out for some sort of reason, didn't realize it to the end of the podcast. And I also wanted to correct uh, Nick's uh, last name pronunciation. It's not Khan, rather it's Kanan, Nick Kanan. Uh, my apologies. Um, happy listening, everybody. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the HO Racing Today podcast with me, Chase Ellis, and my co-host, Adam Moneypenny, your home for all news and things HO Racing. Um, Adam's off this week. Today, we'd like to welcome uh, two very special guests, actually. Uh, We'd like to welcome Terry Flynn of Hard Creek Slot Cars, LLC, uh, to the podcast, and we'd also like to welcome uh, our guest co-host, Nicholas Kahn. Welcome to the podcast, you guys. It's good to be here. So uh, we're going to get started straight into questions with uh, Terry. Um, how did you get started uh, in the nature of racing hobby? Well, yeah, I had a, <clears throat> I, I have a basement of all the odd things here in Florida. I mean, this, this, this gets into a lot of <laughs> odd details. But uh, when, we, when we went in and remodeled this house, it used to actually belong to my father-in-law. And he was a quirky guy and built a house in the basement. So... Uh, you know, cleaning things up in the house or whatever. And there was actually a box of slot cars, old like uh, T-Jets and uh, uh, Tyco Pro cars. And I, and I found this box and I looked at it and I was like, oh, I remember playing these, with these when I was little. So I just kind of stuck them away mm-hmm. and didn't think much about it. And then uh, a number of years later, my son, when he was a little bit bigger, you know how the kids get start rooting around the house. One day I come home from work and he hands me this box of slot cars and goes, dad, what's this? Huh. Well, well, we'll get into that. And we always did father and son projects together, you know, get things and fix them and just just whatever it happened to be. So it turned into a father son project. And oddly enough, he got the T-Jet car and tore it apart, cleaned it up and got it working. And I worked on the Tyco Pro cars. So here I am sitting at the workbench going, OK, we got to have a track now. <laughs> and that was that's literally how I got into it. So we. Uh, we had a workbench down here in the basement, and uh, you know, I bought a, I think a Tommy Super International or the Giant Raceway, one of those big box sets, and we yeah. set it up and uh, started in. And then, of course, I realized that this thing's, you know, moving all over the table. So then we've got to, you know, build a little carpeted thing for it. Mm-hmm. It just starts growing from there, and uh, wore that track out, and then ordered Brad Bowman track, which you actually see in a lot of the videos that I do and mm-hmm. you know just, that's that's how I kind of got into the hobby uh mm-hmm. was, was literally through that that uh you know if my son had never gotten curious I guess I still would I would I'd be doing something else now and I don't know what that would be mm-hmm. uh, did you do any club racing down there in Florida I know Florida is not really because uh, I we I mean Adam did an episode about the HO racing uh pretty much around the nation and clubs around the nation highlighting them we didn't really find much uh, HO groups. There's only like a drag racing group down in Florida, but there's yeah. Doing- um, I mean, there's a for the for the people they want to kind of know a little more of a um, concise history on my uh, web page. There is an about page that that kind of highlights a lot of this stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But after after I kind of got this uh, uh, Bowman track up and running then i was able to actually get something done with getting cars set up and getting them to run well and Mm -hmm. there was a group of guys down here um 
lack of a better description, it was just a wizard club because that's who really was was pushing the the right, organization right. of it. Although I think it was Central Florida HO or something like that, but it was primarily a bunch of wizard guys, which is you know okay in that. And you know fell in with them and started racing. And after a couple of years, I started getting really good um, mm-hmm. and, and learning the ins and outs. And I added a room on the back of the house, got a wizard scorpion track, put it in there, hosted club races. You know, uh, and then, of course, every month we would go to a different, you know, track around central Florida. So that that went along pretty good uh, for a long time. But, you know, clubs kind of come and go. Um, and our our road racing club has gone through several iterations. I think the current one, we, we call ourselves the Swamp Rats. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we had we started pretty good last year. And then, of course, the virus hit this year and we haven't mm-hmm. really done anything but yeah. there's some uh, drag racing has come along in the last couple of years there's uh crumbs world up in orlando that does drag racing mm-hmm. and then of course there's some guys down south in the miami date area down there that do a lot of drag racing mm-hmm. uh how'd you get to the point of wanting to start uh harden creek and what steps did you take to start it uh well here again this kind of you just don't wake up one morning deciding to do something. I think uh, mm-hmm. some people may be more purposeful in their life, but uh, in around 2010, you know, the economy was terrible. Uh, if, you know, the housing recession and whatever. And I was in construction at the time, primarily uh, estimating, and it it construction in Florida, Central Florida especially, just I mean, it ground to a halt. I mean, mm-hmm. just it it in just if it could mm-hmm. go back it did i mean companies were going bankrupt and whatever so i found myself without a job and at that point you know i was in the hobby had been doing some racing and whatever and uh came across a guy on ebay he was out in kansas city the guy was named dan dan walsh was his name and we would talk a lot and uh he says well you need to get you need to just get on ebay and sell like what Mm -hmm. but you know what what about that he says just trust me so he started helping me, you know, get on there and just, you know, just one one item, two items. We would bid on, you know, junk lots of stuff. We'd get it, go through it, rehab stuff, and, mm-hmm. and then put it back for sale. And that's really mm-hmm. how I started, primarily Tyco 440, because that was the most common thing at that point. Yeah. And you buy this just big bucket full of, you know, greased up junk and then, you know, clean it all up and start putting it together and, and rehabbing it and we got into the uh, the traction magnets which helped you know make the Tyco 440s handle better and uh the demand was getting pretty good so then you had to start sourcing other you got to the point where you just couldn't sit there and 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 try to build a business off of buying buckets of greasy parts you had to you had to find mm-hmm. people that were selling you know 200 new old stock chassis you know and then mm-hmm. that forced you into into the uh, uh, the distribution world, you know, and, and mm-hmm. making those kinds of contacts, and then, well, I need magnets now, so then I got to start, you know, making my own magnets, the compression compression molded magnets, and then tires, you know, and, and you know, as a side note, there I got uh, Nick at uh, Super Tires to do his urethane line specifically mm-hmm. for these Type 440. Mm-hmm. So it's one of these things that you know, every day, every day you do something to move your business forward. You come up mm-hmm. with do something and just one day bills on the other and you know if you have ten dollars worth of profit today you know you hold back some to invest in something more. Mm-hmm. 
Gotcha. So that's that's kind of how how it got started, and um, mm-hmm. it uh, at some point it got to we got to the point to where it's like we have to take another big step, and mm-hmm. that may uh, get into the question of uh, you know how Viper started. If you want to get into that question, or did you want to? And I was going to go yeah, into, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. like how, what led you that's to that's kind of how, the, how, how it worked. Um, and uh, I was at the 2012 Nationals in Ohio, and I'd had mm-hmm. this idea in the back of my head about doing my, my own chassis and uh, had uh, talked to some people there. And Dan Cronin's name got mentioned, and I kind of filed it away and whatever. And then in 2013, uh, when I when I made the decision, okay, I need to do a chassis. We we have to have a brand here. We've got to t- go to the next step. And uh, I couldn't remember the guy's name, but I remember the guy that told me the guy's name. So I called him up and say, "Who was that guy we were talking about last year?" And he says, "That's Dan Cronin." I said, "Well, I got to have his number. Well, why do you want the number? I mean, just don't worry about it. Just give me his number, you know, because I wasn't going to tell anybody what I was doing." Mm-hmm. And uh, called Dan. He was actually in on vacation in Hawaii, so. You know, hey, you don't know me, but I laid it all out what I wanted to do, and he's like, well, yeah, you know, I've been wanting to do my own chassis as well. And so it's like, good, so all right, well, we'll give me another week, you know, and I'll be back. So then, uh, that's kind of how it started, and uh, went in, did all the engineering. I mean, it was an 18-month process, and somewhere in the middle of all that, we came up with the name Viper, and that was actually Dan's call. And you know, here we are making this thing up essentially as we're going along. And he's a young guy with a young family. Uh, he was working for a uh, aerospace company out in California. He had also worked in tooling. Uh, and when he was in, in uh, I think, Utah, where he came from, where he grew up. So he had a lot of uh, industrial tooling experience and how to manage projects like this. So that's why I brought him on. And the more I talked with him, the more I realized that uh, he was the right guy to partner up with. I mean, I had I had the money to do the engineering and the money to do the mold, but he had a lot of the, the practical hands-on project management because these things can go wrong really quick if you're not mm-hmm. careful and you have a 450-pound pile of scrap metal that won't make parts that will sell. Okay, mm-hmm. so has to be right so uh that's what we did and halfway through uh you know it's like all right we gotta we gotta put a name on this chassis what are we going to call ourselves and he he hooked up the name viper and then it became apparent that you know the way i function and where i was in my station of life i really didn't want to run the brand okay because i you know my my father who's now 94 at that time was Mm -hmm. You know, in his late 80s, and I knew that that was going to be something that would require time. My brother, who's now passed away, he was not doing well. So I knew I had all these different family things that I had to juggle. I couldn't manage the brand the way I knew it needed to be managed. And Dan had that vision. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. Okay, mm-hmm. so we have basically, even to this day, a verbal agreement as to how we work together. You know, he sources some parts. I source some parts. Um, so we, we, we cooperate to get, to get the job done, but, but now he has, I mean, he started his little slot car business out of his garage, but since then he's moved a couple times and now he's in, I think Lehigh, Utah, mm-hmm. someplace, mm-hmm. You know, stop, does tracks, 
Uh, his brother works for him. He's got other employees. I mean, he he has now lived the vision. He is there. Okay, the parts, all that stuff. I mean, everything that you need to do to run a brand the right way, he has going. You know, I mean, I just work out of the out of the basement here. Um, mm-hmm. Is it yep. maybe someone somewhat unimpressed or whatever? But I, mean, I still do a lot of pop, a lot of pop. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of how how the brand kind of got to where it's at. Um, and you know, he chases some things in the market that kind of fit where he's at, and then I kind of do that. Have a lot of overlap, and then at the edges, we kind of have different directions that we take each of our businesses. You know, that's that's okay. You know, just it yeah. suits suits what our personality. Yeah, and I kind of have a follow-up question or two uh, sure. to that, if I could. Sure. Because um, I know that uh, Chase's uh, his, his experience lines up a lot more around the Life Lake and the Tyco and digging into that more. But I race a lot more on the 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 Hopra end of things, if you will, or Euphoria right. in the past, and and um and in that circuit. So the first thing I want to ask is that you you said you wanted dan to be running the business and it kind of just fell into place that way and it seemed to be the right thing well yeah i think it, just just hold that thought for a second i mean it it was it was mutually agreed after we talked a lot yes. it became obvious that dan should be the one to run the business he has he had the big vision as to what he wanted to do and it's like that's great you need to be doing that because i can't i mean just i physically don't have the space yeah. to 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 do justice to what uh, has to happen to make a brand work. So that's, I think yeah. that is more of a, a, a better thing. I, I didn't tell him as much as gotcha. yes. recognized that he had the division and that's, that's, that's fine. It's just the way, and, you know, he lets me, you know, kind of chase my stuff. I, you know, it, 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 we, we, we agree to, to be complimentary. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yes. It is a good way to 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 define the relationship. You know, and and there's no legal piece of paperwork or anything. And even if there Mm -hmm. was, at the end of the day, two people have to decide to get something done. Mm -hmm. Yes. And and that's where we're at. I mean, we sometimes we agree to disagree. uh, We agree to agree. and it's it's you know the iron sharpens iron thing too. I mean, there's mm-hmm. I get some brained ideas and he'll talk me off the you know edge of the building and and vice versa. So it it, it works out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So so uh, my apologies for misinterpreting that. Um, yeah, just wanted to make I, that. I, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So that was kind of leading into my question of Harden Creek and Viper, are two separate entities that are very complementary to each other and. Cool. Kind of, I, I had the thought of, um, I, I know um, Harden Creek was around beforehand, but why weren't they kind of joined together? If if we could delve a little bit into that, like, well, why, yeah, why Dan was out in California at the time, you know, and halfway yeah. through this project, this eighteen month project, I mean, we were looking at a lot of different questions, and of course, one of the questions is, well, you know, we need to, you know, form a company together. And then once we mm-hmm. got looking, and I mean, I have my account and look at it or whatever. 
the issue is if I took $1 worth of income from him located in California, I would have to file a California state income tax. Uh, gotcha. I'm like, I ain't doing that. I ain't mm. doing that. It's, it's, it's like, okay, Dan, you incorporate out there. You know, I'll stay here in Florida with, you know, Hard Creek LLC, and we just, we agree that we be complimentary. Like I say, it's, it's no piece of paper would would in fact, had a piece of paper at this point in time. It might be worse. It really, at the end of the day, because it this this thing it it it, it pushes us to cooperate. Not that we disagree, take it the wrong way, but it, it's just I need him and he needs me. We we need each other um, to bounce ideas off of. And there's actually a lot of work that has to be done that almost one person can't do it all. If if I would have tried to have done the same on my own without Dan, it would not be anywhere near what it is now. Mm-hmm. Nowhere, nowhere near. It'd be, it'd be Uncle Buck's slot shot. Mm-hmm. Is where, what yeah. it would be. But he, once he articulated the vision for, for running a brand, I was like, this guy. Yet I've found. I don't think I'll, this is a bold statement. I and I know a lot of people in the hobby, and there's a lot of competent people in a lot of different areas. But I think Dan is the most unique one I've come across and has the ability to do it. I, 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 there's nobody else that I know of that I would have partnered. Nobody. Mm-hmm. He's it. Gotcha. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely Dan has has built something really special, and I think that, yep. um, and and you as well, uh, being a part of that, um, have have built something really special that has given the hobby in many ways new life. Because Viper is, um, I mean, just even personnel wise, uh, the largest manufacturer involved in the hobby right now. It is. I mean, you know, obviously it's, the it's power players player. like like Aurora. Yeah, he is. Yeah, it. Um, I mean, it, for this for this end of the hobby, he he's 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 the big dog. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And oh, sorry, go ahead, Jason. No, no you're okay. You're on. Um, so I was gonna also tie into. I know you also have ties as Harden Creek with um a, a complementary um business with some of the other manufacturers um and have had ties with them in the past. Um. How did kind of some of those come about, like with, with Wizard or with RPMs? And is that kind of symbiotic even with working with Viper? Because I know that back in the day, there was a lot of tension between the manufacturers, and that seems to not really be the, well, the thing today. You know, that was one thing that Dan and I, you know, discussed this tension thing. I mean, you look at, um, you know, Scale Auto, Wizard, and Slot Tech, you know, Tony's passed on, mm-hmm. but like all three of the guys that, that started and run those companies, they're all, you know, rough, roughly the same era, and, you know, the market was different, the way products were sold was different, um, you know, one of the things in the pro groups, and, and all three of them really focused on the pro racing groups, they didn't really address Joe Lunchbox. And Joe Lunchbucket is like 99% of stars, okay, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. and But pro racing at the time, you know, 20 years back, 25 years back, there was enough business to go around that these guys could have you know, a prosperous 
business model primarily at the higher end of the market. The market's changed. There was a lot of animosity between those guys because they had you know, team racers. and I mean, it was, it was a very competitive environment. I mean, we, we could talk hours about a lot of that. It wouldn't change any history. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But that's just where it came up. So when and Dan and I recognized all of that. So that's one of the things that we talked about. Like, hey, when, when we ramp up, we ramp up, we have to do business the right way. And he says, we're not going to have, you know, the team racers that would really sponsor people and you know you can't run anything but a viper because that's what the team races about you have to run wizard you have to run slot slot you have to run BSRT and mm-hmm. that it, it yeah. created a lot of tensions in some in some areas so we decided we're not going to we have to help you know um, go to a race or whatever you have to not worry about winning yourself as much as help other people uh, with the brand and get other people to enjoy and kind of part the pride as it were. So that's the way we kind of handle that. Um, and then, too, because the world changed in 2010 in terms of the economy, it really hit a lot of people. Um, I mean, if you look at, at the people at, that are at the performance level now, I mean, you would take SRT Wizard, myself, Dan, uh, you know, lump in Roger Michelli, you know, one or two other quicker. Yeah. yeah, it put us all into one geography and one building. We make a nice company. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a little bit different thing, and everybody can join a different department. You have one big, gigantic brand, but we're not we're all spread out. So I've decided myself that you have to figure out how to cooperate with these other people. They have something you need. I have something they need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the thing that I learned, I don't know if anybody else is, the thing that I learned starting this process is in the market, no one has all the eyeballs all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For a brand or manufacturing, is exactly um, right. Not 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 a logical choice. You have to have to be willing to sell your products to other people. Some brands don't have to. Okay. Mm-hmm. When when you give a hobby shop forty percent off, whatever the rate may be, they are your contract salesman. Okay, they have people that like them. Face. I may not have those eyeballs. Dan may not have those eyeballs. So you support these other these other shops, okay? And essentially, if they want to make money, then they got to get off the butt and sell the product to, to earn their forty percent. Mm-hmm. It's eyeballs that you would never get anyway. So none of us can sell all of our stuff directly at full market all the time. You have you have to have uh, you know other people selling. And, mm. and, and for me, my big, my big money generator is eBay. Okay, so that's that's what generates my eyeballs. So anyway, it does a lot of debate. Those you pay a pretty good hit. So that, that's mm. where I concentrate my sales. Where Dan, he does a little bit of 
eBay because stuff's mostly online, pop shops, other direct sales. So that's kind of his area of the market. And then, yeah, I have my presence, but my big, my big volume kind of stuff is eBay. And that's, that is a lot, a lot of work. And Dan is exactly set up, wants to get set up to do eBay to the right side. All right. Um, that's actually really cool that uh, um, you actually combined to do that. Um, I also wanted to get in because you're well known for purchasing uh, the assets of Lifelike and yeah. the <laughs> trademark of Tyco, which I'm getting into my level of expertise. But, uh, but how did you uh, get to the point of – how did it fall in your lap pretty much? Well, I'm a little uh... – I'm trying to think of the uh, oh, what's it's, it's not a mental disorder, although some people would say maybe I have one. Um, Passion? I, well, <laughs> no. Uh, what's that hyperactive disorder? You know, ADHD. It, it, whatever, ADHD. Yeah, that's it. So I probably have a little bit of ADD. I get bored mm-hmm. quick with stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, so about a year after we had rolled out. Uh, Viper, you know, it's humming along, everything is fine, we're making money or whatever. And mm-hmm. I was literally kind of getting bored. It's like, okay, I gotta, ha- I, ha- I have to have a project, and that's that's mm-hmm. another part of my personality. I always have to have a project to be working on. I don't care if it's, you know, degreasing a pile of parts or something else. I have to have a project. So mm-hmm. I had heard through the grapevine that Lifelike was for sale. So I'm like, that's interesting. And uh, contacted a fellow in the hobby that had some uh, relationship with the people up in uh, Milwaukee, which is Walters. And uh, so I reached out and they had a, an agent that was brokering the deal and got the packet of information and looked at it. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, they are asking a pretty big number and I'm looking at the numbers and, and they had been hit hard by the recession. So, I mean, they're, yep. they're, they're number going down. So I had, it was probably maybe a six, eight month process in a way. And I kind of, other things to do, but I kind of kept an eye on what Walters was doing. And it appeared to me that they weren't doing anything new. It really had all the fingerprints that they were trying to wind down the brand. Uh, in particular, like on the website, something would sell out, um, yep. and that would be it. You know, it, it, they weren't getting any more in. So it's like, okay, I know what they're going to do. They're going to they're going to roll this thing up and throw it away. It's what they're going to do. Okay, mm-hmm. there were no new sets out, no new licensing out, no new nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and yet here I got this perspective package that you know they want this big number. So I went round and around and around. And finally got a list of their inventory that was, you know, and I went down that list and go, okay, this is what I know. Whatever's in China, this thing's going to be a fast deal. Whatever's in China, I can't exactly put a value because I can't touch it to see it. Mm -hmm. Primarily the tooling, although it's like there's all this tooling at this company in China. Okay. Yes. I know. I can go. To, I can go to Milwaukee and I can look at the inventory and I can touch that. Mm-hmm. And I look up there and all that. And so I looked at the list and started. You know, they had 
all this stuff and it's worth this much retail, blah, blah, blah. So based on what I knew on what stuff was actually selling for, it's like, okay, I know what I got to be able to buy this stuff. So I went down and I made a little spreadsheet and I went down, started discounting stuff, whatever, and come up to a final bottom number. And I looked at that number and then it's like, you know, I've got this bank account over here that happens to have that amount of money in it. Mm. That, mm. Uh, um, you know, I talked to my wife, this is what I think I want to do with this, this little, you know, lot of changeover. And uh, she says, okay, fine. And that, that's, that's the number I gave her. And they hemmed and hawed a little bit, but they ended up taking it because I think they they realized that probably before the year was out, they would have just thrown it away. They'd have just, you know, rolled dumpsters up into their house and just pitched all the stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really how all that worked. It was a very, very quick fuse. So there wasn't any time or, or any, any way to go to China to look at the tooling or assess any of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, got me all the inventory. They got me the rights to the name for Lifelike HR Racing. It has nothing to do with Lifelike Trains or anything. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it did come with uh, a lot of internal information, not information. no engineering data, none. And, and if we have time, we can, I think I know why. But there was no, I, I, I was like, hey, these guys, there has to be CAD drawings on all this stuff. It's like zero. Mm-hmm zero yeah. although i had just gigabytes of information most of it was on all of the things that they had done putting box sets together all of the minutiae that you have to you know do the marketing aspect of it but not the nuts and bolts of it that was the the disappointing part of it all mm-hmm. so i you know i've done i've done well with it i've actually earned back you know my investment and made a profit so far on that inventory and I have bought myself a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. Bought myself mm-hmm. a lot of experience with that deal. Mm-hmm. And what was it? I mean, I know I did some research and Walters is more of a model railroading company. Right. more known for. And I could see them wanting to dish, ditch the slot car division because it's not their uh, expertise. Well, I mean, it, as I understand it, uh, what what they bought when they bought Lifelike from Lifeome in Baltimore, they wanted the Lifelike train line, and I think in particular the Proto 2000 line is is mm-hmm. what I've been told. I I don't have a way to exactly um, uh, corroborate that, but they they wanted the Lifelike train line because what that did is instantly buy productive capacity. Um, they didn't have to develop any of that. You just, you know, write a check and, and you're in, you have this whole other line of trains that they got into. Mm-hmm. Well, Lifeholm said, well, you're going to take the slot car thing and the, uh, uh, the Darda pullback line. You're, you're taking it all. We're out of the toy business. And they go, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. That's what they did. Moved all the train stuff to Milwaukee. In the interim, they left uh, the people that had, that were working on the slot car stuff, they gave them the choice to move to Milwaukee or work remotely. Um, I think probably on a contract basis for the most part out of Baltimore, because there was a lot of things in the hopper they couldn't walk away from. You had a lot of uh, licensing agreements that were, you know, in mm-hmm. effect uh, mm-hmm. that you're responsible for those contracts. You just can't walk away from them. You know, you sign those mm-hmm. contracts and 
the way the way I read them is, you know, NASCAR or whoever that you're, you know, uh, whatever the particular sponsorship, they don't care if you sell one thing. You're responsible for the whole contract. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's to your contract and you agree that you're going to sell 10,000 cars and give them, you know, 3% of the wholesale number, that's that's the number you owe them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so they had all that they had to do. And then I think once that stuff started coming to an end, then the recession had hit. And that really, that really changed the way mass merchandising was done. Merch, uh, and uh, I mean, Toys R Us probably is, you know, bankrupt because of a lot of that as well. It changed just the way everybody marketed toys in general. And mm-hmm. Retailers got a very bad taste for complicated toys like a slot car set. Okay, they want mm-hmm. to sell some piece of injection molded painted plastic like a Nerf gun and be done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the whole combination of things that I think worked uh, against life like um, the economy, the fact that Walters really didn't have a heart for it. You know, mm-hmm. it was just there. Um, and just a whole variety of things, and then throw in on top of it, then there's there were some problems with the manufacturers over in China, which was catered, mm-hmm. uh, and then bring in uh, some of the things I had posted on my website uh, regarding the problems that uh, arose with the manufacturer. Uh, there was just 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 a just a tear, and, and I wasn't aware of all of that when I bought this thing. How bad things were with that. Mm-hmm. Here for hours about that. Uh, but th- that's what uh, I think led to the brand kind of just spiraling in. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, in summary, now that I look back at it, it'd be fair to say that I bought the remaining assets of Lifelike from Walters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> kind of yeah. remaining assets. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and kind of the same thing. I'd like to relate Tyco kind of to it because Tyco – uh, was huge in the slot yes. car business. Um, they entered the market with their S model, which was mm-hmm. more of a warm car. They're competitive, competitor to T-Jet. Then yes. I had Ty- I had Pat Dennis on here as a guest right. discussing his uh, part of designing the Tyco Pro, which kind of right. kind of changed the game for Tyco's slot car uh, market. Then they moved into the 440, and they kind of mm-hmm. a little bit faded to for to into obscurity. Pretty much when they came around to the early well, 2000s. Yeah, you know, it, you know, Mattel kind of did the same thing to Tyco that Walters did mm-hmm. with with Lifelike, and we've discussed mm-hmm. that. Where the story is that uh, Mattel wanted the Tyco radio control line of stuff, mm-hmm. and here again, you know, Tyco says you're going to buy everything, we'll be out of the toy business. Yep. And they're like, okay, fine, they take it, and then. Once again, there's all these, you know, uh, relationships in the slot car thing, and uh, not many years after that, they they let a lot of that stuff go. They moved the manufacturing from Malaysia, I think, to China. Mm-hmm. Pretty well ditched the Tyco name, started re, re- merchandising it under the, you know, Hot Wheels, you know, electric racing mm-hmm. and that sort of yeah. stuff. Yep. Yep. And I had other conversations with people that I had one person tell me that it later in the process, Mattel did not even have a brand manager for slot cars. Mm. Okay. So that, you know, somebody 
somewhere, you know, oh, by the way, come out with a couple Christmas sets this year. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. what happens is you can go to the factory in China or whatever and say, hey, we need to do blah, 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 and you rely more on their people to help get this thing done than your own people driving the bus, which is, I think, how you ended up with, you know, the HPX2 chassis and why, you know, none of the wheels on those things were ever around. It's like, you, you take, you get a hundred new old stock Tyco 440s in the package, open every mm-hmm. one of them up, and pull the bodies off. All those chassis, especially the black white white chassis, they're almost all identical. It's just incredible how well Tyco actually put stuff together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very, mm-hmm. very little wrong with those cars. I mean, for the 440, I mean, really, at the end of the day, all you got to do is put a set of decent tires on them, and the cars respond pretty well right out of the package. Mm-hmm. And maybe mm-hmm. a set of helps, but a set of rear tires really—that's it. You take those Mattel HPX2 cars. I mean, they were a starter kit at best. Yeah. Hubs yeah. pressed on crooked tires, just black blobs of injection molds. Mm-hmm. Something. It's terrible. You know. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of my business really on by putting those and them up and whatever else you had to do. But that. That's reflected on Mattel's lack of oversight or even, you know, motivation to care. And then they wonder why people didn't like slot cars. Well, your products are you know, so. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, about, I don't know, a year and a half ago, ADHD kicked in and was surfing the uh, uh, trademark website government's trademark website and I uh, was looking at all the things that Mattel had mm-hmm. and it was Tyco Electric Racing and that had expired a number of years ago they didn't to keep it up so mm-hmm. I just told my uh, lawyer hey go get this one so you just pay the money register it yeah you know, no, no great yeah. secret there so it doesn't that doesn't give you any assets or it's just simply the name Tyco Electric Racing trademark that's it that's yeah all. likeness yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very cool. Um, do you have? I mean, I was going to ask, uh, even though you already answered it, the hardest thing about getting life like back up, it's probably the tooling and getting uh, getting all that back, especially for the uh, older stuff. Um, I was gonna ask, um, do you have any? Uh, I mean, I know some of the stuff I respect is confidential. But uh, some, do you have any aspirations about getting for Lifelike or Harden Creek in general for the future? Well, the the reality um, is that at one at one time in China, there there was probably dozens of companies making slot cars of all scales. Yes, all brands, all scales. So you had a lot of knowledge floating around and, and generally in china if you look at it they have these different geographies that do different things you know they've got elect geographies that function that, that focus on electronics and others on toys and then some are plush toys and you know because of the labor um uh needed to do these specific items okay so there's i think things like slot cars or whatever what's left is in an area called guangdong if and that, that pretty sure that's that's the geography that's in but there isn't many people doing it anymore so what had happened with the company that the tooling was at was at a company called cater that had purchased sandican and that's a here again a different story that we i've touched on with my website 
yep. as, as to that relationship. And if we have time, we could talk about that. But mm-hmm. Cater had no interest in doing slot cars anymore. In fact, Walters was moving all of their train stuff out, mm-hmm. okay, because Cater didn't really want to do anything for any outside people anymore. They had their, they had their own brand of trains, which was under the Bachman brand. And so they had pretty well chased everybody off that had anything to do with any, any trains or whatever. So Mm -hmm. when I first approached them about doing some stuff, they were like, I could kind of tell they weren't enthusiastic about it. Like, well, we haven't done that in a couple years and blah, 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 blah. And all this mealy Mm -hmm. mouth stuff that was like, well, okay, well, what would it cost? And then they gave me a quote on some stuff and I looked at that number and then I went back on my records that I had gotten from Walters and it was like twice what they had charged Walters. Mm -hmm. And then you start running the numbers and I'm like, there's no way. There's just no way you can pay, you know, this number X and sell it for Y because you you have this multiple that, that, you know, you've got all this stuff, you got to pay for it, you got to get it shipped all this stuff and you know by the time you look at what the landed cost is and then you look at what people are used to paying there was very little spread Mm -hmm. yeah as much as you'd like it'd be foolish to do something and then only have you know let's just say five dollars in between your cost and a carded car i mean it was it was some Mm -hmm. stupid number like that who really was just Mm -hmm. so then i went back to walters and asked the guy there about it that was my contact and he says oh yeah that's uh that's their way of telling you that they just don't want to do your business is charge you twice I'm like mm. yeah that'd have been nice to know about a year and a half ago before i bought this mm-hmm. stupid thing. you know that was mm-hmm. one of the they didn't bother to mm-hmm. tell me was how the relationship was so long story short on that i ended up having to get the tooling out of that facility and that was a uh mm. fire drill in, in and of itself at the last minute uh, but anyway, yeah. it's at another facility now that's uh, actually uh, fairly competent, but they've never done slot cars. They, yep. they, they, they may do mini champs, die cast, and some other things like that. So they're, they're experts mm-hmm. at molding yeah. stuff and decorating stuff. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're really experts at that and could mold me a mountain track. I doubt they could get the rail. That's the problem. Yeah. to put the rail in and i would you would have to you'd have to have some big i was like all right i got a contract with a couple of big boxes or whatever and i'm going to do two sea land containers for the box sets or whatever then it'd be everybody's time to figure out but go there like you know i need you know 200 for this set that set whatever Mm-hmm. at this point so we did some we did some bodies about a year and a half ago and some new ones now it's all just the two but mm-hmm. China right now that process is really a slow down yeah send in I had a wire percentage of the stars which kind of bothers me that mm. needs to be seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, China's a place to where you can lose a lot of money mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you're not careful. So, yeah, that's one of the things. I, yeah, and talk to enough people. I've talked to Pat. He's told me how it used to work there, and that was the 
cycle is long. And what happens is that just, you know, maybe over here and your project has a problem and then you got to get yourself a plan to get over there, get in front of your engineers over there and figure out what happened. One of them was a head of Tycho USA. And it's like, yeah, there's time you just got to stop what you're doing, get on an airplane, go to China and mm-hmm. fix it. Because whatever it is, you know, the communication process breaks down. Okay, you just have to go over there and get in front of them. Show how to fix this problem. Mm-hmm. I have that luxury. Mm-hmm. Just that there's not enough volume. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, um, and I'm gonna we're gonna go into uh, last couple of parts. But uh, uh, you run a small business, and there's a lot of people that are running small businesses right now in the hobby. Right. What are the what are the pitfalls of running one, and what like just the pitfalls of running a small business in this hobby. Well, you know the the uh, situation with the virus was actually good for me because everybody was in their basement and they needed mm-hmm. parts. I sold a lot of parts, and I think Dan probably had the same thing going on. People buying, mm-hmm. you know, pickup shoes and brushes and springs and whatever, fixing up all their little cars. Um, but it is a niche hobby. That's the thing, mm-hmm. and there's not. There's not a lot of growth. I mean, some guys like you coming in and whatever that are younger that can maintain it, but it's it's at the point to where the hobby attracts, I think, people that are that would normally have been predisposed to getting into the hobby even back in the 60s. There's just something about slot cars that tickles certain people's brains, regardless mm-hmm. of what the era or time is. Um, but now you've just got so many entertainment alternatives that there could be millions of people in the country that might like slot cars, but because all of us are kind of small and mm-hmm. and uh, fragmented, we can't come together for for a unified national marketing campaign. Yeah. Yeah. To get this in front of the people, and since hobby shops have for the most part gone away, customers can't walk in and look and see this product demonstrate. Yes. Yes. Right. That's, that's yeah. Problem. So now they just got to hope that when they order something off the internet, they get this thing that, you know, it does what they think it's supposed to do. So, yep. Yep. like I say, there, there's just some market conditions that I don't think we'll ever, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll never get back to Kansas, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I actually have a follow up question to that, and that is, you know, both on the performance side and, and you just touched on this, both on the performance side and more the hobbyist side. Um, this is definitely a, a hobby that is um, aging, for lack of a better word. Yes. Yeah, um, indeed the case. Yes. It's it's, uh, you know, Chase and I, especially on the performance side, are one of two or three people in our generation who are in the performance side of it. Right. And um So to that end, and I would say, like, you know, I was a kid last time I saw a slot car in a store, and it was the Hot Wheels electric cars series. Mm -hmm. I I can remember going into Toys R Us as a kid and seeing them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But that isn't the case for people that are even a couple years younger than us. Correct. Um, That's my point. I mean, none of the big boxes carry it anymore, with the exception of maybe uh, Hobby Lobby. Yes. Yes. Correct. Yes. About it. So 
to that end, I was going to say, as one of the the manufacturers on both ends of the hobby, what steps do you think, or what are the ideal steps to, at the very least, maintain the hobby, both as a hobbyist and as a manufacturer? Um, well, it, like Dan and I had recognized when we started Viper, we have to figure out how to... It, it, it reminds me a little bit of that scene in uh, the movie with Clint Eastwood. And I can't think of what it was, but he, but you know, the in, he's he meets the Indian ten bears or something, and they're both staring each other down, and you know, they both agree that you know, hey, we we got to quit butchering each other and learn how to work mm-hmm. together. Okay, I mean, yeah. literally, I mean, that's that's you, you, somebody can maybe help me remember what that movie was, but it was really a good scene, and Clint gave a good speech about, look, we got to cooperate. You know, and there there is, you know, there is some lessons to be learned even in other areas of society in today's world. But uh, essentially, that's what you have to do. Two people have got to decide that, OK, enough fighting. We have to, we have to have, you know, a common good here. So, you know, companies like Auto World and uh, Race Masters and, you know, ourselves or whatever have to figure out, OK, what do we have to do as a hobby to get together and pool our resources for a common marketing goal, okay, to expose mm-hmm. the hobby to as many people as we can and not worry, okay, if I, if I put in $1,000 into this pot, $10,000 into this pot, do I get twenty dollars or $30,000 in return? It might not mm-hmm. be able to figure that out, but realize that if everybody cooperates and the hobby grows and everybody ends up getting a piece of it, Okay, and it has to start, in my opinion, with Tommy AFX and Auto yep. getting as much product mm-hmm. in the marketplace as possible because that's where it starts. Joe mm-hmm. Lunch gets it and he goes, hmm, this needs a set of tires. And then you sell mm-hmm. him a set of tires. Well, oh, it needs a set of magnets. Oh, it's pickup shoes. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon it's thinking, mm-hmm. car ain't fast. I got to have a pipe. Yeah. Yeah. And and here again, within all of this, once you get the guy playing these guys exposed to this, a lot of people are happy with just, you know, the scale appearing nature of the box. They don't want to go fast. They just want to look at that car, put it in. Relive their childhood. They want to relive, relive the fact that they actually have one of these cars when they were young. I get all and other people. You know, it's like, you know, a cat chasing a mouse or a mm-hmm. cheetah you know, uh, whatever. It, it's movement. Some guys just like faster than that. I have people that call up, I'm not going to go that way. Like, mm-hmm. well, money, you don't understand. Something. Mm-hmm. I'm to figure out how fast. That's, that's practice. You know it's sorry to interrupt here, but I think your audio is going out. Can you hear me? Yeah, you can hear you. Yes. I can now. All right. So, I mean, it's, I mean, that's, that's the game. It's like drag racing, you know, cutting a light, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Uh, yeah and, and it's, it's just that, that part of a person's brain that this excites. So the hobby has a mm-hmm. lot of dimensions, the modeling, um, just, mm-hmm. you know, people like, you know, the track and the scenery and all this. I mean, they want to create their own little world. Good. Other people that are into speed, mm-hmm. they don't want none of that. They want the smooth track or whatever, and you know mm-hmm. all the fancy colors. And so there's there's just this big continuum that we have. 
but it first starts getting people in. And there's a lot of people I've talked to, and they literally start with a tychocardic auto or something, and they get yep. hit by the bug, and it's literally off the races. So that's that's my perspective. That it's it's Joe Lunchbox that you've got to go after. Yeah, mm-hmm. not pro racer. They'll come along. It's it's Joe Lunchbox. Yeah. you have to get them exposed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've always been of a similar opinion in that you have to get a car in somebody's hand before you can get a fast car in somebody's hand. Exactly. Um, and and um, to a similar end, and, and I want to ask your opinion on this, uh, more, more specifying on our uh, generation like me and Chase is, um, you know, I got asked at the, the discussion came up of how do we get younger people into the hobby at the Nationals last year? And somebody asked me and they said, if your dad was not a racer, would you be racing? Mm-hmm. And my answer was no. How would I know about it? Correct. Um, yeah, correct. How do you think we expand it so that people that are our age know? Do you think it's a higher new media presence? Well, do you think it's yeah, in retail? No, I mean, I'll, I will uh, 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 throw some stones at the people at Hopper. There's, it's actually in the Hopper rule book that a Hopper club has to do uh, uh, community involvement activities. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it was, yep. you know, unless they've taken it out, it's in there. You know, the club has to yep. do community involvement. To my knowledge, yep. that's just not happening. I don't see anything. There, there may be that, but, but they'd have to prove to me. But for mm-hmm. instance, at the Hopper Nationals, this has been going forever. There's not a media team. Yeah, okay. it's it's absolutely uncalled. Everybody, everybody gripes and complains about this problem. Nobody does anything about it. Start. Ah, oh, your audio is going out again. Sorry. Can you hear me? Hello. Yep. 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 What has made the microphone kind of fades away. But okay. it's a start at the top and like have a media team uh, at the nationals yep. that does nothing but uh, uh, you know put out you know something on Facebook every couple of hours or you know two or three times yep. a day whatever it is and mm-hmm. and have a little reality show thing going on a little bit where you you mm-hmm. find a few people that are competitive and you know you you follow them as they go through the the the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the work you know, run up in the, the brackets and all that. Follow all that and and try to show people the, the mm-hmm. interesting part about it, but but they almost don't have enough people to do that. I mean, the, the people that are there yeah. are are there to race, and there's like not anybody else that's just mm-hmm. nothing else better to do. But in reality, that's what needs to happen. I don't know how. Yes, mm-hmm. I really I cool. totally agree with you. Um, it, and and it's worth mentioning that um a little bit of insider knowledge here roger and i have actually been talking uh a lot about that obviously him and i are very good friends and very right. uh intense racers i think yep. would be a way to describe it and um uh him and i have been talking about obviously like i did projects at my college this year that were centered around slot car racing because right. i it's thought it would be really interesting and could be presentable and that kind of led me to I believe we are going to be at least putting proposals on the talking docket for the Senate because Roger right. is a senator from yep. our club about 
making a larger push into new media for Hopra. Now, that's very, very, very pre- preliminary, but yep. it is something that is being uh, at least talked about, and it has not been even talked about for some years now. Right. So if they do it, and then they can go, hey, and then the local clubs start doing it. Um, yes. Once people begin to see the fun that you can have in the hobby, then you the people that are serious about it or have this you know gene in their brain that likes slot cards i mean mm-hmm. you know and, and even within like i say our hobby you have some guys that like nothing but t-jet kind of cars and then other guys on the mm-hmm. other end like the fast cars that's fine yep mm-hmm. but it's, it's getting yep. people exposed so they can at least figure out what they want to do yes yep. that's, you know and myself and dan we have all the we have our plates are full the sideboards are up, and the potato mm-hmm. salad just fell on the floor. Okay, mm-hmm. I can't take the time to turn around and scrape up the potato salad. I mean, it's just there's too much to do. So, yeah. and mm-hmm. and for these other, why don't you know? No, 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 no. I am, I am wide open, doing everything I can to keep the wheels in this business. Yes, in the same way, we can certainly help a little bit. Somebody else. Mm-hmm. Have the lead get the vision and do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's like our local club down here swamp. I told this guy, like, hey, I can tell you what you've done. I'm not well, I can't have the time to hear the information. Your mic's uh geez, yeah. Is, mic's it, fired out. Is it out again? Hello? Yeah, we're, no, we're good now. We're good now. Good now. Okay. If it, if it moves like a quarter of an inch, it seems like it goes out. But uh, if the uh, and I told him it's like a manufacturer really doesn't need to run the club, you know, mm-hmm. members need to run the club. I mean, I can yep. help you make decisions based on my knowledge in the marketplace, mm-hmm. but I don't have time to run it, nor should I. You know, mm-hmm. you, yes. need, you guys need to drive the bus, and I'll show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've always had the idea to make a sort of, I mean, I know, Terry, me and you were talking about probably a couple of weeks ago about how it would be really awesome if we got a professional filming crew there mm-hmm. and film a documentary on something mm-hmm. that's professionally made, professionally edited, put it, I don't know, put it on YouTube. Right. Like just YouTube is a massive platform, especially mm-hmm. for our younger millennials, Gen Z, whatever. Correct. If we get that in the algorithm and just highlight and make the hobby, highlight the interesting parts of it, the personalities, the mechanical aspect of it, right. and just mm-hmm. the action for all the that's the. Yeah, I mean, the, we've got all the tools in that 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 weren't really available to all of us ten years ago. Um, I mean, I, the last ten years, in a lot of respects, has been. A bit of a black hole for a hobby in in some areas mm-hmm. that we've had to kind of work work our way out of going forward with the way the world's going to be who knows but you just can't worry about it you just got to get up tomorrow and fill the next order and, and then just see what you got to do and, and then just do what you can until something stops you is really the way you have to to look at this but that would help something like that and then more of it where people people can see here's the thing really hit on something because tie this back to the fact that hobby shops have gone away. Mike again, the, sorry. The, the hobby shops have gone away, and that has put a crimp on exposure. Well, then we have mm-hmm. to figure out a way to capture eyeballs. 
games and what you just need yes. a, a documentary, you know, things that clubs do to go online, you know, the things, yes. nationals, all this, these kinds of things to where you can re-expose the people, find out. It's always a battle of eyeballs. Yep. Uh, figure out where the eyeballs so if the eyeballs aren't at the bricks and mortar retail anymore, then you got to go figure out something else. So yep. I know that, you know that, is finding somebody that wants to, to go do that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't take that mantle and, and run with it. I just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It'd be really cool to do that. Uh, it Really, the hobby needs a sort of youth influx desperately. Right. Yeah. You know, and if it if it has some legs or whatever, then it might be something. If it was done right, then you know, a company like Auto World or uh, Race Masters could then maybe help support, knowing that it is going to do mm-hmm. this good at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. You know, uh, I don't know if I ever went I answered really answered the pitfalls. Um, That's all right. Oh, it's just a lot of it's market driven. I think you know. I think I, I may have started down too many rabbit trails to uh, really answer that question. But I think my brain was like, "Look, it's 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 market pitfalls at this point. Yeah. If the market's strong and you run your business the way it should be, it kind of takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the pitfall would be, you know, business incompetence." basically, mm-hmm. um, you know, spending every penny you get on other stuff and not, you know, saving back and reinvesting and all those sorts of things. I think that would, you know, just basic business acumen uh, mm-hmm. would be, would be the pitfall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. And it, it kind of answers the last question. I mean, uh, do you have final question? Uh, do you have any advice for anyone that wants to uh, start a business in this hobby? I know it's a little bit niche, but I know there's probably a couple people out there that are looking to the their, their dream. It's my dream to start a business. Okay. Well, I learned I learned a lot by doing eBay. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have had the uh, experience in just figuring out how to get inventory and in literally sometimes having just make it i mean make stuff yourself Uh, and with ebay here again a battle for eyeballs it's figuring out you have to figure out a product that answers a need okay that's not currently in the marketplace Mm -hmm. um Coming up with something that's already there, you've got the problem of out-marketing the other people or engineering whatever it is better and then trying to convince people that your your Mm -hmm. widget's better in any market situation. But it's better to have something that nobody else is doing, and that's what I learned with eBay. You know, that's that's what I did, and it was Mm -hmm. basically – Tyco hop-up parts is what it was. Magnets and tires and putting all that together in one area because people would get the cars and like, oh, gosh, things don't stick, whatever else. Well, okay, here's the tires you need. Here's the magnets you need. Oh, okay. And then that just spins mm-hmm. off their stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. market, that's, that's what somebody has to answer getting a what can I do that I'm a subject matter expert at or want to be a subject matter expert at. 
nobody else is doing or not doing very well. Yep. Because mm-hmm. going into a crowded marketplace is like going into the restaurant business. Yeah. You know, there's no lack of restaurants. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, that's pretty much it for me. Uh, Nick, do you have anything else? Um, no, that's pretty much it for me as well. Thank you, Terry, for for all your insight. Okay. Oh, yeah. And thank you so much, especially taking time out of your day to talk to us. Uh, we did have a few audio issues there, but I think I could probably uh, fix those up. But, uh, right. but thank you for taking time on your Sunday uh, to talk with us. We had a great time. Uh, you have a great rest of your day. Okay. I Well, it was a number of things that we probably didn't cover that maybe later you know we could talk more specifically about you know the history of life like and stuff mm-hmm. like that so oh yeah because it, it that's we could we could talk for an hour about just that that subject alone yeah oh Absolutely. yeah definitely i can probably uh, get something in for that okay all right uh make sure to check out uh terry's website harden creek in the description a lot of hop-up parts for tyco and certain uh certain other brands around there really great stuff uh just check it out i'll put it down in the description Um, You have a nice day, Terry. Very good. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Terry. All right. Well, that was actually pretty fun, other than the uh, few uh, audio issues uh, we were having. I apologize for those. Uh, We we had a little test beforehand, and Terry's mic seemed to be fine, but I guess uh, I'll probably try to fix those in editing. But it was really interesting, actually, to talk to him, especially about all that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think one of the most important things to talk about with our hobby in general, and I'm glad we got to talk about it with somebody who's really like uh, interesting insider that has uh, kind of his his feet in the water on mm-hmm. every facet of the hobby, as opposed to just being in the performance or just being in the hobby. He's really everywhere, so he can give really good insight on bringing people our age in and keeping the hobby uh, alive and well. Mm-hmm, definitely. And again, I have his to all hot put his website down in the description uh, for everyone that's listening now. Check him out. Um, he's doing a lot for trying to bring the Lifelike brand back, and he needs as much support as he's going to get because I'd love to see Lifelike return to prominence mm-hmm. in the hobby. Um, so now I'm going to begin on our uh, uh, Nick and I have a pretty big part in this, but uh, Roger Porcelli, I told you guys last week about our iRacing series that we started up. All Almost all of us are HO. Uh, drivers that are doing iRacing, and uh, we finished our second-to-last race of the season at Texas Motor Speedway in Season 1 with mm-hmm. the uh, Delara DW12 Indy cars, and uh, Nick had, is our broadcaster, actually. He runs it on Twitch. Yep, yep. He's pretty much our, our color commentator, pretty much, and is, I already uh, posted a link to your... I'll probably post a link to your Twitch as well in the description. But, Thank you. Uh, great thing. But... Uh, we had a pretty interesting race uh, this week at Texas. We were 150 laps around the uh, legacy pavement of the track, which is, I believe, don't know what year, but I know it's before the repave. 09, I think. Yeah, 09. Yeah, yeah, you might be right. 09. And uh, but the kicker is uh, the iRacing setup that they gave us uh, was not uh, not up to par. There's certain things that would the car tires would go away after about 20 or so laps. So Roger ended up crafting a setup overnight, and it worked pretty much. Got a, uh, a tolerable setup. We can go almost 40 laps on our tires, but uh, yeah, pretty much results of the race. Uh, John Lepresto ran away with it, got the win, second win of the season. 
uh, pulls him within three points of Roger in the standings, which Roger has dominated this season, win, won five times. He has 159 points, and Lepresto is only three points behind him with 156 heading into the last race of the season, which should be a great battle. And yeah, me and Anthony, gonna be awesome. Oh, yeah. And me and Anthony Lepresto are, uh, are currently fighting over third place right now. Uh, managed to finish mm-hmm. third over him. He actually had a speeding penalty at Texas, which pretty much cost him on the first round of pit stops. But um, what was it like to broadcast up in the booth, man? I mean, broadcasting all of these races is fun. Obviously, there are some that are closer than others, um, but all of them are very fun. There's always some sort of excitement going on, whether it's Rex, (laughs) whether it's... um, I I mean, you know, it's... We're a group of amateur racers, and uh, we're big race fans so actually being able to get in the simulators for the first time is uh, both as a driver or as a commentator really mm-hmm. really fun and interesting because it just brings something different to our already existing hobby that emulates racing mm-hmm. um and uh as for this race specifically i mean it was definitely um it was very tight especially for the first uh probably about 100 laps or so of the 150 yeah. Um, I mean, they were the top five, six cars, yourself included, were really nose to tail. And it was just very fun getting to see all the cars trade back and forth. I love when they're really close like that. I know Michigan yeah. was probably the race that was incredibly, incredibly close like that, other than the yeah. unfortunate disconnect at the end. Um, mm-hmm. Well, fortunate for some other unfortunate for others, I should say. But, yes. you know, getting especially getting to bring in like I I'm pretty good with play by play because I've been a race my whole life and i know all you guys and the 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 time you got the time you guys put into practicing and things like that i have some insight on but i know it was really nice when i was getting my dad into the commentary booth because my dad used to actually race professionally um like he was in some televised races and stuff so it was it was always nice to get him in and get his insight on racing line and things like that and it's just um it's a really fun experience. It's very exciting for sure. No matter the day, no matter if it's even like that close on track, it's always just really exciting and interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely something to check out for anyone listening to the podcast. Definitely. Um, very entertaining. I know it's not really related to HO, but I mean, it's kind of, it was kind of a welcome retreat. Um, I, Roger and a few of us started up, actually Roger got into it a uh, pretty, uh, as a result of the IndyCar and NASCAR, uh, doing their pro invitationals so that kind of mm-hmm. started the ball for our league and uh our last race of the seat we're going to our last race of season one uh we're going to back to the pocono tribal we actually had a expedition race of sorts uh there mm-hmm. uh, when all this stuff first started up back in uh probably march or april or so and uh, it was 250 laps we're going to do another 250 laps um and it should be an entertaining one. We're doing the Legacy Pocono Oval, which I believe is 08. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes. Oh, actually, it's 09. Actually, I was just checking now. It's 09 before the repave again at Pocono. Uh, we're trying to stick to the Legacy tracks just because they are free. And uh, certain guys, um, they have limited budgets in terms of this stuff. And uh, just to have just uh, it's open there for everyone to precipitate. And it should be a pretty interesting one. I know. Uh, mm Pocono is a very fun track with these cars. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it'll be even enhanced by the fact that 
the championship is so tight, especially for the lead battle, that it's really going to be about, I mean, it's, you always love, like, you're watching Formula One, you're watching IndyCar, you're watching NASCAR. Well, NASCAR changed their point system, so it's always like this. But, like, you know, any of them where it's like, it's really about who is going to be ahead on track. Quite literally, it is so close that it is going to be about, as long as they're towards the front of the pack, which they pretty much always are, it's going to be about who is ahead, John or Roger, on track. It is going to yep. be about that, and whoever wins ahead or finishes ahead wins the championship. And that's yep. just going to be, it's going to be such a fun and nail-biting decider, especially because we had a really good race last time we were on Pocono, and everyone's mm-hmm. so much more competitive now that I think it'll just be, mm-hmm. it, it's going to be so much fun. I'm very excited for this upcoming race on Thursday. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, John, I believe John Lepresto will be the defending winner. I know expedition races don't mm-hmm. count. doesn't didn't count yep. towards our season, but he is the defending winner on this track. I ended up, I believe I finished second. I can't really remember too much, but I believe I finished somewhere in top three. But it's he is a I mean the Prestos have been uh, at the top for most of the season and they have been hard to compete against. I mean especially strategy wise they kill us of uh, strategy wise and driving and yeah uh, and they both I believe they both have a licenses. I'm not entirely sure on that, but they I'm are pretty sure they do in multiple classes like, both of them. Yes. Oh yeah. And it should be very, very um, – and it's also – there's a lot of close points battles, not just in the top three, but in uh, – I know Kyle Munson, Robert Link, and R.C. Lincoln are very close, uh, mm-hmm. separated by only three. Um, and there's quite a few uh, guys at the bottom of, like, 10th through 13th that are very, very close together. And it should be very entertaining one for this last season. And I also wanted to make a really special announcement about our season two. Uh, we'll be doing mm-hmm. uh, the uh, newer NASCAR trucks. And uh, we're actually going to mostly, actually all ovals, I believe, is what we're all going to. Yeah, pretty much all ovals. And uh, let me see if I can pull up a schedule uh, for this thing, because it's um, I actually it's can't. short tracks. Yeah, there is a lot of short tracks. We're doing uh, Wilkesboro and USA International, I know, I believe, which USA International will be somewhat of an interesting one since there's no setup uh, for the um, iRacing truck. And uh, it should be uh, very interesting here. Let me pull up schedule here if I can get it up. But Roger does an awesome job of running it and posting about it. But, uh, yeah, and absolutely. And speaking of, of course, Terry, who is just here with us, he's one of the sponsors for the league. A lot of um, uh, uh, something that's really special is being that, you know, we're living in the COVID times, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that, w- the reason that I, this series started up is because a lot of us can't really get out to race, especially up here in the Northeast where Roger and uh, myself and my dad are located. Yep. Um, and, and RC, of course, too, and a couple others. Um, you know, we're under very heavy lockdown restrictions still. So mm-hmm. because of that, we can't really get out. We can't really race. So that's where this came from, and the manufacturers recognize that. And I mean, Viper, Wizard, uh, I don't want to miss anybody, but I know Harden Viper. Creek and several others. Yeah, um, RPMs, a lot of guys stepped up. Yes, they're, they're they've awesome. stepped up to really support this iRacing series, even though it's not 
directly involved in the uh, in the hobby it's it's something special and i think that 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 unity together there is really um really telling and really awesome for our hobby Mm -hmm. okay i did get season two pulled up um the schedule is completely announced there's no dates to be announced there's no dates yet they will be announced our first race of the season will be going to the daytona legacy oval which will be 2007 before the 2011 repave that should be a really fun one especially with the bumps bumps and how arrow uh, the mm-hmm. how the new trucks are more uh, arrow friendly uh then we'll be going to dover motor Sp- international speedway uh the new just a recent scan of dover nothing too much there uh, we're going to go to phoenix legacy which is 08 before they did the reconfiguration that's in exist now then we'll be going to charlotte oval recent scan uh pocono legacy which is the one we're doing this week same one but with the trucks uh, then North Wilkesboro, mm-hmm. that will be that's the one I'm excited about. I actually, yeah, that's gonna be really cool. Mm-hmm. And then Texas Legacy, which will be 09, uh, Michigan Legacy, USA International, and finally Indianapolis Motor Speedway as the finale. Uh, there's gonna be two off weeks, I believe, to that season. I know they're in August, from what I believe. Yeah, August 6th and mm-hmm. 13th, those two Thursdays are be will be off weeks, but uh. Very excited for what these trucks have to offer. I've raced them. I know I'll be racing them because I recently got promoted to a license, and pretty much all I've used. To, I'm used to racing them. Uh, it's pretty much my bread and butter has been stock cars, pretty much uh, all my career in I racing. So it'll be exciting. Yeah, I think stepping down to something that's going to be. I shouldn't say stepping down because obviously these cars have a lot less downforce. Um, But going to something that's a lot less horsepower, I think, is actually going to be really beneficial to our uh, series. I mean, the the trucks top out on larger tracks at like 180-ish, right? Yes. Around there. And compared to the Indy cars that we're at now, I mean, we're hitting 240 on some of the tracks that we're on this season. Mm -hmm. So I think it's actually going to be really helpful in equalizing the field in a lot of ways. I think there will definitely be people who are more proficient, uh, yourself included in that. I, of course, include like Lil Prestos and Roger in that. But I think for a lot of our other drivers, it'll really um, kind of be an equalizer and help us uh, to have, not that we've had bad racing this season because we've had very good racing, but uh, a lot closer racing across the board uh, mm. for this upcoming season. I think that's going to be really exciting. Especially Daytona, uh, there will I believe I don't I don't think the trucks have a restrictor plate. To be honest, I don't know if they do or not. Maybe someone correct me, but um, especially Daytona, if we do have the restrictor plates, I mean that will be pretty equalized. Um, uh, especially all the short tracks. I mean uh, all all the trucks. To be honest with you, all just across the board, all the stock like trucks, Xfinity, it's all pretty much equal. And it's fixed mm-hmm. setup. Everybody will be on the same setup. And any cars, you have to drive them a little bit more. And they're a little bit more sensitive. And you have to be really careful with how you drive them. But the trucks, yeah. you can really yeah. – they're a manhandle. Uh, you can take more liberties with running into people with them. Yeah. So that was pretty yep. interesting to see, especially on North Wilkes for the short track. We'll probably see a few bump and runs there. But, uh, yeah, I'm really excited for the season. Yeah, yeah, and I think something that's worth mentioning is it's like, with the Indy cars, you, you kind of touched on it, their aero balance is really, it's really balanced on a knife's edge, and that isn't the fault of even the setups, I mean, it's just, they are very fidgety, you can't touch each other, you can't, 
it's it's uh, this is going to open it up where people have the opportunity to run a lot more different lines and on top of just being uh, lower horsepower, it's just going to make it so that you're able to drive them in a much greater variety of ways. And I think that's going to be really exciting. Mm-hmm. And due to that, we're also turning on the damage. And I believe Roger's debating turning on cautions, but it's controlled by mm-hmm. iron. And we're also going to have two quick repairs, which means that if you get uh, damaged or your car gets mortally wounded, then you can go back to the pits after the tow time, unless you make it back to the pits. Uh, then you can get your a new truck like that. And it's yep. two of them you're allowed per race, which will be pretty interesting considering uh, Daytona. Uh, it's going to be mm-hmm. uh, very eventful for all tracks and the short tracks, of course. We have your radiator taken out. Um, but should be interesting this year. And um, and again, next week, catch us on Twitch. I'll post Nick's uh, Twitch channel down in the description. We're going to Pocono. Final race of the season should be a very good one. Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, catch them on there. Mm-hmm. All right. And now I'm kind of our last recap of the week uh, our club a uh, cohora up here in ohio uh we ended up getting our summer series season going uh last night uh this week we traveled to myron's washington raceway in columbus ohio to race our indy t-jet class which is basically our stock t-jet class but with bigger wheels rtho wheels and an uh, indy car body uh, from aurora or some uh, or aftermarket brutus actually makes some pretty good resin bodies but it really felt awesome to race again after a very long hiatus, um, a few of us took very, uh, all of us took pretty good precautions and just uh, masks and all the safety measures measures with that. Uh, 12 racers showed up, which was really nice, double digits. And I'd really like to thank uh, Myron Benner for hosting our first race this season. Uh, we ended up running the rally format, which is what we use for the Ohio Cup. Um, it's pretty much involves when the uh, you, there's a set amount of laps, for example, 25. And when the leader crosses for his 25th lap, there's a set amount of time for the others to complete their laps. So mm. you could potentially fall behind a lap uh, very quickly uh, if um, if you're behind. But it's a very effective format. Um, it's It runs on time exclusively is what comes down to races come down to li- just literal seconds. And it's crazy. But um uh, Ryan Peoples got the win. Uh, Myron Benner finished in second. Eddie Ball came home third. And I ended up rounding out the A-Main in fourth. Uh, Danny Reinhardt finished fifth. Uh, Howard Rosensig came home in sixth. And Charlie Benson rounded out the B-Main in seventh. Uh, Dale White finished in eighth. Uh, Nathan Atwood came home ninth. And Ricky Shearer rounded out the C-Main in tenth. Uh, Curtis Taft finished 11th. And Tony Worrell, uh, our new racer actually this week, Really like to welcome him to the club. Uh, rounded up the field in 12th. Uh, Dale White and Charlie Benson both advanced out of the D main. Uh, Charlie again advanced out of the C, and uh, Eddie Ball advanced out of the B main as well. Uh, but I do have a but to this. Uh, Ryan Peoples did end up failing post race inspection as he actually unknowingly ran a car with the wrong pair of an illegal pair of magnets since NDT Jet class calls for uh, original. Aurora Magnets or the one-stop slot shop Red Dragons. And what ended up happening was unrealizing that he used the wrong car, had blue and white dash magnets in it. And uh, it did cut, which what we do for 
technical uh, when you fail post-race inspection. Either way, it can be any way you fail post-race inspection, but it cost him a five-point deduction in the point standings, which actually he won the race, which he got 25, but subtracted five off. He's now at 20 points. He's now tied for fifth in the standings with Howard Rosensig. Uh, as a result of this, Myron Benner takes the points lead at 24 points, with Eddie and me falling behind in second and third. Uh, next week, we'll be racing at Eddie's, and the class will be Sportsman Chassis with Lexan Bodies, which should be a pretty interesting one. Uh, our Sportsman class is kind of like a Mod T Jet class, but it's amped up a little bit more. Uh, you're allowed to run an armature that is uh, five, that's five ohms, or like it can go f uh, further down five to whatever ohmage. And we'll be using the Lexan body mounts and using uh, the uh, mostly host bodies on them, which will be really fun. Um, uh, my car was okay. Um, it was really a loose car. It was, it was first race back, so everyone was kind of knocking the rust off. But got a hold of my car and turned out the a main i kind of had a really good problem on my hands because my car got faster as the night went on and i couldn't adjust to it the a main and it cost me uh, pretty dearly um believe i could have had a better running car but uh, just too many mistakes man like it gets to you like you can't like the main rule mm -hmm. with these things is that if you try to make up time you're going to come off every single time if you try to rush and make up what you lost some but yeah yeah uh, that, i hear you yeah. definitely definitely feel that with ours too <laughs> yeah yeah trust me i was getting pretty i mean um i don't usually get frustrated with it but i was pretty frustrated um ndt jets and stock t jets are my uh, achilles heel of sorts with this hobby and i need to get better at them i love racing them but they're just i mean they're different things you have to be really i mean yeah i mean with hopper classes i'm used to the jerk the uh punching it down the straightaways and you can't do that with these cars you have to be very yeah, gentle yeah. with them and and yeah that's pretty much it just need to improve my driving and um at least i have a good problem now my hands is why my car got faster <laughs> so <laughs> so so yeah um thank you so all so much for listening and uh we want to it's been a long episode uh, this week but again we'd like to thank terry for coming on and discussing he had a lot of insight uh into um, his business and around life like uh we all want to wish you a very safe work week this week and also happy flag day just realized a few minutes ago that it's actually flag day today so just thank you everyone around the u.s that's listening happy flag day um uh, be sure to check out, again, Terry's website in the description, Harden Creek Slot Cars. Sells great aftermarket products for various uh, HO chassis. And I'd also like to thank you, uh, Nick, for coming on, being a guest co-host today. And it was actually really fun. Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you for uh, inviting me in. You know, I, I think it's really exciting what you do with this podcast. Um, you know, we're talking about one of the big needs of our hobby is a greater presence uh, on new media to bring in people our age. And, hey, this is really... I mean, really the only new media presence in our mm -hmm. hobby right now. So it's it's a really great thing you're doing, and I'm really happy to be a part of it. So thank you. Heck yeah. Oh, you're welcome, man. And I hope to expand it. I mean, later on, I know we're still in our infancy stages. We're on episode 18. But mm -hmm. um, we were planning on doing covering the Stock T-Jet Challenge in the Ohio Cup this year and in the Hopper Nats later this year. But that, of course, due to the COVID, has put a wrench into that. But I definitely want to do something for the 2021 Nats, something very special to cover. Absolutely, absolutely. 
All right. Well, stay safe, everyone, and uh, happy racing.